Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, November 11th. Here is an impeachment inquiry update from today's show. In the nearly 3,000 pages of interview transcripts from the House impeachment inquiry that were released last week, Trump often seems like a supporting character in someone else's drama. Aides struggle to please him, they fret about his fits of rage, and do their best to anticipate his ever-shifting impulses and desires. Trump is an unseen and mercurial presence. Gordon Sundland, the Trump mega-donor turned diplomat, sought to help Ukraine's new leader, desperate for American aid in an Oval Office meeting with Trump, understand what exactly the president wanted from him. But even Sundland says he wasn't so sure, complaining during his deposition, quote, President Trump changes his mind on what he wants on a daily basis. A key question as public impeachment hearings begin starting on Wednesday is, what did Trump want from Ukraine and what exactly did he do to try to get it? To answer that question, Republicans and Democrats have cited the rough transcript of Trump's July 25th call with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, a conversation that witnesses have described as improper, shocking, and a confusing mishmash of conspiracy theories, empty threats, and non-sequiturs. Republicans have made the rough transcript and the chaotic nature of the Trump presidency it reflects a central part of their defense. But Democrats are counting on using the testimony of those around Trump, a mix of aides, sycophants, and serious-minded civil servants, to make clear exactly what Trump was demanding of the Ukrainian president in the context going into the July 25th call. My colleague Greg Jaffe, who read through all 3,000 pages of the deposition transcripts this weekend, was struck by the extent to which senior U.S. officials working on Ukraine really lived in a state of dread and confusion over what the president might do or tweet next. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch was clinging to her job in Kiev this spring amid a smear campaign orchestrated by Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, when State Department officials in Washington told to leave her possessions behind and come home on the first possible plane. Her bosses in D.C. didn't fear for her physical safety. Rather, they feared the wrath of Donald Trump. Most officials suspected Trump's rage traced back to the conspiracy theory conversations that he was having with Giuliani regarding the alleged and unsubstantiated Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. Trump has pursued that because he thinks that Russia did not interfere in the election. Giuliani often called Trump on his personal cell phone, so there's no record of when he called or what he talked about with the president. Even the highest ranking officials were flying blind. For example, whenever Giuliani popped up on television in John Bolton's West Wing office, the national security advisor would turn up the volume so that he could try to learn what Giuliani might be telling Trump. That's according to the testimony of Fiona Hill, who oversaw Russia and Ukraine policy on the National Security Council. Less clear is whether Trump himself issued the explicit order to put a hold on $391 million in military aid to shake down the Ukrainians. Senior U.S. officials first learned of the freeze during a July 18th video conference in which an off-camera staff person from the White House's Office of Management and Budget said there was a hold on the aid but refused to say why. Acting Ambassador Bill Taylor, who had dialed into the conference call from Ukraine, recalled that he sat there in astonishment. 
Top officials at the Pentagon and State Department spent much of July and August struggling to figure out why the aid had been frozen and how to get it flowing. The answers were vague and unsatisfying. That leaves Sunderland as the witness who had the most frequent and direct conversations with Trump about Ukraine. Sunderland, though, has proved to be an unreliable narrator, subject to massive memory gaps, frequent misstatements, and a tendency toward self-aggrandizement. He boasted to White House officials of his frequent meetings with Trump, but he seems to have been exaggerating. In his sworn testimony, Sunderland struggled to recall meetings with the president and other top U.S. officials, prompting flustered Democrats to wonder whether he was drunk or on some kind of medication that causes memory lapses. They asked Taylor, the acting ambassador, to Kiev, and he replied that Sunderland always seemed sober in their conversations. Never a good sign, though, when you need to ask. In September, Sunderland told top Ukrainian officials that their military aid wouldn't flow until Zelensky announced on television that he would investigate the Ukrainian gas company that employed Joe Biden's son. The Ukrainians pondered putting Zelensky on CNN. Sunderland, though, eager to please Trump, suggested that they put him on Tucker Carlson's Fox News program. It never happened. Meanwhile, senior U.S. officials in Kiev and Washington worried that the entire scheme was illegal. Notably, Sunland, the witness from the closed-door round of questioning who spoke most directly with Trump about Ukraine, is not on the witness list of either party. Instead, Taylor and George Kent, a top State Department official, are set to testify in public on Wednesday, and Yovanovitch, the deposed ex-ambassador, will testify in an open session on Friday. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. If you want to hear full episodes, find The Daily 202 wherever you get your podcasts.